I took Zach to, to Whitesburg um, and showed him around when he was doing research for a, a film. Um, do, you, do you remember that, Zach? Oh yeah, that never. Got I don't made. know if you, I don't know if you want to talk about it or whatever, but no, no. Hey, listen, we're just we're just yeah. This is good. It was about <laughs> you know snake handling um, preachers. It was sort of like a, I was doing a film, and then there was I. I just I think I had just seen that movie, The True Meaning of Pictures. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Shelby Lee Adams, you know. Yeah, and yeah, was, yeah. And there was like other stuff around that stuff, like the, the Appalachian stuff, and you know we knew a lot of people in the in the string instrument community a lot of people who go to clifftop which is like the west virginia music festival but it's a lot of people from you know Eastern old country. old time music old time music all that stuff yeah so there's just like a whole confluence of that this is years and years ago and christian and i and our, our dear friend justin went out there on a trip and uh we we were just like kind of just messing around all over all over that that area and meeting really hilarious people went to someplace the brown derby where we met you know the brown, brown derby is that in viper it was like a no it's not in viper it's it's i think it was in whitesburg it's a like the oldest lesbian bar in appalachia or that's what they said is that it's i think it's over in perry county but yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah, yeah. I know brown about. and we yeah. met we met this guy named big city and, and we're you know we're on a budget you know uh we didn't know where we were gonna stay we figured we just camp somewhere but then you get down there and it's like it's not like campgrounds it's like people's land and and coal mines is not like a very obvious place to like camp for the night yeah. so this guy uh zach sorry zach tells the story so well zach i, I, throw, I want to throw i gotta throw it back to you i don't know but we, we were we were at this bar and this dude is like he's like oh you guys are interested and in, you want to find some some snake handlers all right well sure but i uh i know where you can find a tortoise shell it's as big as the hood of a car and we were like okay like, <laughs> that's not really what we're, we're doing here but he's he's like i don't need give us these directions just like you did take a left here and that's where we found out i think the most important thing from this whole story the thing that i learned was what a 911 was which I didn't, you know, people just kept on saying, like, you see the 911, it says this, blah, blah, and I kept oh, like the like, address. 911, what are they talking about? And, and I was like, what? Do, I'm sorry, what is a 911? And this person's like, it's a street sign. I was like, oh, because it's the, you know, it's the vernacular for like the only time anybody uses it is when you call 911. And right. you need to address where you're going. <laughs> yeah, before that, it was just like U.S. Highway something, something, something. But then not, when 911 came in there, then everybody had to get like a proper street name and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. I just love that, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so then so then he tells he tells us of this place that that uh, we could go uh, where we could camp. He's like, there's this hill, you know, outside of town. He points that to it, tells us how to get there. And, you know, we were going to go find the tortoiseshell, you know, the next day. At this point, the day was over and it was time to find a place to sleep. And the arc, my Mazda protege and Zach's old Volvo station wagon simply could not make it up the road up to the top <laughs> of this hill. And then eventually we're just like, let's just like camp by our cars here, you know. And we're then, just like trying to boulder up this mountain. He's like, "Yeah, there's a campsite up there. Like, go, 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 check it out." You know, and we're we're like, like trying to get up this thing, <laughs> switching drivers. You know, all this stuff. 
And then um, at some point he shows up on a on a four wheeler. Yeah, we see this just like almost like alien lights like coming down the mountain, you know, and it's like yeah. slowly creeping towards us. And then we realize it's like he's changed into like full camo. He's got like guns on every like side of him. He's got a case of beer in front of the on the front of the ATV. And he's like, I was watching you all struggle trying to get up that hill for about 20 minutes. And we're just like, well, why didn't you tell it? He's like, this is the site right here. We're, we're like, well, why didn't you just tell us that? Man? <laughs> you enjoy the struggle. You enjoy watching us. It's like know, a hazing ritual for yeah, city yeah, boys. You know what cool. I mean? Like they just, from, they mean well. <laughs> from mutual. Like he's from right outside of Louisville. And they call him. Oh, okay. Okay. So he's from Shively. So they call him big that, city. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's yeah, some sort of definitely a hazing ritual for us. And, <laughs> and it just got, you know, he was like time to party. And we were just like, it's time to sleep, man. <laughs> it was all nicknames. And he, he would, wanted about, to make sure that we had, if we were had, we were armed. And we were, and at that point, we were like, you know, this dude's got like a rifle or shotgun there and whatever. And and, and we're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah it's like, it's like Muammar Gaddafi can't say he doesn't have, you know, <laughs> yeah. nuclear oh, yeah, capabilities. We, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we've got tons of weapons. He's like, what do you got? I was like, um, knives. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, knives. Well, you know, I guess when the bear comes, you just got to use the knife. And like our friend Justin just started just like cracking up. He was just like, "What are you talking about, man? Like, what are you talking about?" <laughs> He's like, "Well, I take the knife. I cut you. You're dead. Cut you. You're dead." And we're like, <laughs> "Yeah, just the the world between like sort of like what is fun, what is weird, what is a threat, what is like enjoyment here was very blurry. You know? Yeah, it's just that's so a great cool. transition to the film we just made, actually." <laughs> <laughs> 15 years before we did this thing, but the microcosm of our relationship. Oh my God. I can't wait to get into it. Y'all let me give you proper introduction here, folks. Welcome to this week's edition of the Trill Billies. Join us today is Mr. Christian Hansen, a journalist and photographer originally from beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. And also Mr. Zach, Zach, do you say your last name? Trites or treats or trites? Trites. Okay. Mr. Zach Trotz, a director and filmmaker of such films as Men Go to War, which netted him a win for Best New Director of the Tribeca Film Festival in 2015. Men Go to Battle. Battle. I'm just going to do that little correction, just like the Trites thing. Men Go to Battle. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's all good. Why did I put it in there as Men Go to War? Everybody does it. We should have just called it that. Unfortunately, men do both, you know? Unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. Men do do both. So it's not strictly wrong, Zach. So I'm going to push back a little bit. (laughs) You know, that, I, I love coming on trillbillies i love that idea i was so happy that you had us because you know me and zach are both born in kentucky and this is and you, i love how much you guys talk about our beloved home state and that you guys are both from kentucky you know it's really cool i know this is this is uh this is special for me yeah so we all have kentucky you. area codes everyone in this in this room yeah I'm that's right I I have a thing about uh, I've I've lived in Lexington the last five years, but I won't give up my six oh six. Eric, it's just like a kind of a you know virtue signal kind of thing. So oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate all... that you guys you know won't give up the five oh two. You rocked the five oh two pretty hard up in New York. <laughs> Good man. Well, listen, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. <laughs> I want to kick this off with. And eventually I'm going to get to just popcorning some things to try to just 
tease out this film without giving it away at all, or the, this, the series without giving it away at all. But first of all, I want to start with this because when, when, when this thing kicked off and I'm seeing like, uh, you know, the, the shots of Christian, you know, uh, looking like the guy from it's always sunny, you know, piecing the, everything together. I, I was like, it reminded me of, uh, Tom O'Neill when he was writing the book chaos and how it started out as like, I think a Vanity Fair article that he had like sold in like the late nineties. Premier then, magazine. Yeah. 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 The 20 years yeah. later, it becomes, you know, his treatise on like what really happened with the man, Manson murders. A, a magazine that may or may not have gone out of business because it continued funding his. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to kick it off with, with that. Like, What's y'all's relationship to conspiracy, conspiracy theories, these type of things? Uh, you're under like the Can real the Tom O'Neill thing, just because it's so funny. You said that, you know. Just I just want to shout yeah, yeah, yeah. give the quick Tom O'Neill anecdote, which was while we were driving across the country, going up and down the various coasts, uh, making this thing. We were listening to podcasts with Tom O'Neill interviews and Tom O'Neill's book, and knocking on doors much the same way he did you know when he was working on his 20-year odyssey ours was like a you know for christian it's a 10-year odyssey for me it's a whatever five or six year odyssey but um it was just inspirational you know to hear him have you know we're listening to the final product it was like well he did it maybe we can do it's kind of like <laughs> your yeah like your guiding life there yeah and then we were given we were such super fans of tom while uh, someone gave us bootleg chaos, uh, Charles Manson of the CIA t shirts that had Emily Allen, who that had uh, Tom O'Neill's book jacket cover on a photo on the back. That's and so uh, someone, um, <laughs> one of my friends tagged him in a photo of me wearing the shirt and he replied like where did you get that shirt he wasn't mad he was just curious and so then i used that as an excuse to be like oh i'll be in la soon can i can i give you one of the can i give you the shirt and so i went and met him at a diner and gave him the shirt and he had no idea who i was who i was or what i was up to we ended up sitting there for three hours at this diner there's like overlapping connections between connections between both of our research it turns out we know the same some of the same people we've talked to some of the same people he's talked to people i wish i could have talked to because he's been working on this thing for 20 years that have since died and it was this amazing uh meeting and you know we've we he watched the series uh finished it last night we, you know we we became friends and you know i consider him a hero and, and a mentor oh, and, and so, so does zach yeah it also, also kind of funny that like, uh, you know, the underbelly community is so small that like you all ran into a lot of the same people in your own individual journeys. Yeah. To get back to you, sorry for just basically pitching Tom O'Neill's chaos book for <laughs> 20 minutes here. You know, we we're supposed to talk about what we just made, but yeah, he's, he's amazing. But, but that, yeah, it does speak to the, to the smallness of some of the community and he talks about it in his book. Um, and so, you know, our relationship, I'll just start with me and then kick it to Christian because yeah, yeah relationship to the conspiracy community besides it was extremely casual five six seven eight ten years ago really when christian started telling me about this it you know to the point of i i just just didn't really register with me right but 
reason that I became interested in the story was because my friend was interested in it. And I think you see that a little bit in this movie is, you know, I don't, I don't have some predilection for like, oh, well, I just got to find the next conspiracy theory to really dig my, sink my teeth into here. You know, it's like, yeah, no, Christian was telling me about this thing and I became pretty fascinated with it and fascinated with his fascination with it. And so Christian started, you know, what? So I was writing a, a paper um, at Western Kentucky University about the private prison industry. And um, I so I started just looking into the history of the Wackenhut Corporation, yeah, which yeah. In, in episode two and three fares very large because it wasn't just a private prison company. It was a private security and espionage company throughout the 80s. And, and so Danny was looking into the Wackenut Corporation, and that's how I discovered Danny. And so I was not like fully like approached this this research project with the without the intention of losing my mind, but I did lose my mind, you know. So then I'm so sorry. So who's this Danny Caslero guy? And then it's like, oh, who's this Gary Webb guy? Who actually I think are we more certain that he probably did? Gary Webb did commit suicide. But also Kentucky he, connection, right? Because Gary Webb was an NKU alum, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and in and then this world of Iran, I didn't know or care about Iran Contra, the October Surprise, or espionage, or spies, or any. I didn't. I didn't care before, and then I just like slowly just became kind of enmeshed in the you know trying to figure out what happened to Danny and why and. And what he was looking into, I just got deeper inadvertently, accidentally, just because I'm a, I don't know, curious person. And I found myself confronted with this huge question in in enmeshed in, in this thing. And 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 an early piece of data that really led me to it was that, you know, Danny had a fear of blood. Like he hated getting his blood drawn and, you know, just didn't like hanging out with blood. And neither do I. Like, I really don't. I don't like watching movies where people get uh, shoot up or, or give blood or I don't like giving blood. I can't I can't donate blood. I, I tried. I passed out. I, I hate it. And the way he died is bloody. Uh, and um, that was one of many things that that, you know, led me to that, you know, propelled me into this thing, just kind of empathizing with him and and wanting to know more about who he was and 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 what he was working on and, and what and what happened to him. Yeah. So to tee this up for folks, uh, the Danny that Christian's referring to is Danny Casalaro, who was a writer, kind of a journalist, but not, I guess, by trade, but kind of, you know, uh, fell into it. From Martinsburg, West Virginia, DC. So I guess what Martinsburg's a commuter town, maybe like an hour and a half outside DC or something well, like that. Just to just to put a finer point on it, Danny was a I think considered himself a kind of like a novelist and a poet and you know one of those guys. Right, he had sold some books, right? Well, yeah. It, well, yeah. He had published some books, but the his aspiration was like more like the Hemingway thing, right? But just like a minor, minor Hemingway or something, he yeah. would worked as a journalist uh, to support himself. And he worked for about 10 years as a trade at a trade publication called computer age. So he knew about the computer world from writing about it more from a kind of in-depth technical level, um, you know, technical, not like he, he's a guy who wrote it on a typewriter, right. but he was a journalist and right. a trade journalist, you know, he's a 
when you think about Van- Van- Vanity Fair, uh, Vanity Fair wrote this guy Ron Rosenbaum. He wrote that Danny was a dabbler in journalism or a fake journalist, and that's what he's described as on his Wikipedia. But working for a trade publication is real journalism. You have to break stories, get scoops, deal deal with sources. It's you know, but you're right, just so dealing, his, rather, his characterization as a journeyman is not accurate he was like a legit journalist then yeah he knew how to break stories and and Clearly. develop sources yeah <laughs> sure he would have rather been at the washington post or the new york times or something right but yeah. but you know i just think that you know and we're not like sitting here standing up for danny or something but it's just a correction so it's like yeah he, he was a journalist he wrote about news for a yeah. living as a and so for a journal his his death under mysterious circumstances is the, is the 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 subject of uh, American conspiracy, the octopus murders, which you two have made, and so I just wanted to tee that up before we get to get too far out there. So thank you. <laughs> episode one, y'all kick off with you know um, the the Inns Law lawsuit and this character Bill Mitch and all this stuff. So let me start there. Like what? is in's law you know why was it created and who is this bill mitchell character christian you want to take that all right all right so um the uh in's law is uh, a computer software company they developed this um software called promise which stands for prosecutors management information system please don't turn this off like this (laughs) from here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's no but it's it, so basically it turns out that this is a uh well, well why we're talking about it is because basically this software gets misappropriated and ends up in all these other countries and the guy that his name's bill hamilton the guy that that um the architect of this software he's a former nsa um national security agency operative and or whatever i don't know what you'd call him operative or employee or whatever but he worked there developing software for the nsa and this was like a very advanced data tracking software that um after it was stolen and started showing up in all these countries around the world um he he he, allegedly allegedly i mean it's very hard to like document and prove like we don't have receipts of like from jordan about like them buying it from third party CIA cutouts, uh, you know, in 1984, we just don't. This was the allegation that Bill Hamilton made to Danny in, in the early nineties, this trade publication journalist who wrote about computers, who was also fancied himself as like the next wanted to be the next, you know, Woodward and Bernstein kind of guy. Right. Yeah. Um, wanted to make a name for himself. Bill Hamilton had spent the last 10 years fighting the justice department saying that they had taken his software and, and, repro stolen it and done something with it he didn't really know what and then around the time that he met danny was the time when a lot of new information started coming into him from sources um like you know of varying degrees of credibility and strangeness and and one of those sources was a guy named michael riconosciuto Right. And so that's when that's what really starts off. And maybe we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves if you really want to talk about episode one. But but there was basically this the tension, the central tension that was that was there was that a judge agreed with 
the Inslaw side, the Hamilton side, the Promise side, saying, you know, you get saying that the Justice Department had stolen Promise and had and through trickery, fraud, and deceit. That was his words. And that they owed Inslaw about eight million dollars, eight to ten million dollars for that theft. And then that judgment gets thrown out and under just purely technical means, right? And they're sent back to square one. And the, the central question, I guess, there is like, what is going on? Like, what, you know, is the Department of Justice, Christian talks about this in the movie. It's like the Department of Justice has so much money. They are probably spending more money fighting this thing than they are on what they would settle on. You know, that was and, the first thing that clicked to me. I was like, that seems like such a paltry sum to yeah. just to make this thing go away. You know what I mean? Just to kind of be wash their hands of it. Also, I just want to correct you. I know I, I, I meant uh, I teed that up as Bill Mitchell, not Bill Hamilton. Bill Mitchell, very different Bill. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to make that correction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, a lot of names involved with this. Story. <laughs> yeah, get kind of twisted around. And oh. a lot of people with three names too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's the central tension of the first episode, and what what kind of where Danny dropped into this story of like, well, yeah, what is going on here? It just seems strange. And they had they had very big name people helping them fight the Justice Department. The Elliot Richardson, who was the former U.S. Attorney General who ran the Justice Department yeah. during the you know right up until Watergate and when he resigned he's legend of of DC because of his stance on on resigning instead of firing the special prosecutor against Nixon and Watergate this kind of resolute figure of justice and righteousness is now taking up Inslaw's case and he's saying um you know you guys need to you guys need to settle with this software company you stole his software and the justice department's like I'm sorry, who? Elliot, who? Like, they're just they <laughs> yeah. have no time for him. You know, it's yeah. just like, what is going on here? Um, and so that starts a what I think is a very twisted and strange path from there that does not go, perhaps, you know, it, it does not stay in the software world for too long. It's no, no. And we're quickly, and I don't want to get too far away from it, we're quickly introduced to this Michael Riconosciuto who is like, just i don't even know what to say I, I, i'll kick it over to y'all like let's... i just want to say one thing is like and i hate to do this in front of your you know in the podcast but like it i think that this this discussion would be best if somebody has already watched the show because we can really go in there you know and like and and dig deep so like you know yeah i, 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 I was going to ask y'all about that because i felt like before we got in here like like i, I was like okay so how do i do this without like, giving away so you know yeah, what i mean totally. so you know <laughs> and, and you know and also it's uh, the way i feel about it too it's like we could sit here and run through like what the whole story is but we spent like four years like building this mosaic that takes the most complicated story ever told and simplifies it with beautiful music and amazing archival and it and just like it just sucks you right through this like crazy confusing story in a way that is very you know uh fast and and easy to watch yeah. so yeah uh it's so it makes more sense to talk about this with people that have already watched it 
Right, right. And, you know, because I'm sure I don't, they'll have I don't questions. Know we should just assume that people have kind of like watched it and just not worry about spoilers. I guess is my question. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will put. Wait, yeah. You, let's just do that. Well, let's let's do this. I I let's let's do this. Maybe we could just kind of go through and tease the characters and who yep. they are and what they were up to without getting into their connections of Ooh. like how all this is sort of intertwined or whatever. Does that does that make some sense? Sure. Yeah. I mean, Christian, do you want to just give a little intro to how my, how Danny found Michael? Uh, okay, so basically, Danny's at this point where he's uh, he was asked to come and meet Bill Hamilton, who needs uh, you know what a you know uh, this Bill Hamilton's at this point in, in the movie he owes his attorneys so much money because he they were working elliot richardson and charles work who's in the movie were working with and their charles work was the president of the dc bar heavy heavy legal talent but they're working on a contingency basis and they're they're <laughs> they haven't won anything everything's being appealed so they haven't actually gotten any money yet and so what danny is is a free investigator right yeah. uh he's a journalist he's an investigative journalist and 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 so he can maybe like shake the tree a little bit maybe it'll help in slaw a little bit and so they they want to share their story with the journalist and and and, and see what maybe he'll come up with and um they pitched to dan Moldea, you know a dc journalist you know danny comes along and uh and basically he he's like takes it on and right before very recently bill has met this guy named michael reconosciuto who tells Bill that, you know, the reason why the software is popping up all over the country is because it's got a secret backdoor in it that the U.S. is using to extract investigative data from other foreign investigative and intelligence and law enforcement agencies around the world to kind of, you know, do kind of what an early version of what the Snowden showed us is just common practice. But this is like the 1980s. That's what I was that's what I was going to ask version. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you guys is like, how sophisticated was, because I'm looking at that, it kind of, you know, like uh, the shots you are showing, it looks like the kind of computers we would have played like Oregon Trail on when I was. Yeah, like, yeah. The, some of the people that built the software told us that it, it's uh, basically a spreadsheet, which is a way they use to dismiss it. But actually, like, depending on what's on the spreadsheet, like, yeah, if it's names of, uh, uh, confidential intelligence yeah. sources and their and their their safe houses locations and their phone numbers. Right. You know, it, <laughs> it could be a very valuable. But it, what people that built the software told us that it, it is basically what is basically Excel. Okay. Well, I feel like that's a little bit of an over, oversimplification. It's also like it's running on just to set the scene a little bit. It's running on computers that are like millions of dollars at the time, right? The these mini computers. Yeah. Um, which are not many at all. They're giant. Um, and so it was developed in the 70s and through the 80s to take lo take all the load of the Justice Department, thousands of cases, and go from a file-based, literal manila folder envelope-based system to a computer database that would be able to track cases the people involved you'd be able to study and do research on it there was a lot of research done into the criminal justice system that was that was done by inslaw when it was a nonprofit in the in the 70s and late 70s and it you would find patterns it was a data you know and like you're saying a spreadsheet you can find 
find patterns, but this is this is a database software where you find patterns. And and I guess what was what they sold it as being unique was that it could integrate other databases and you could combine databases and get bigger and bigger and bigger and sort study large amounts of data. And so the allegations surrounding it are about what are you doing with this large amount of data? Are you taking, you know, uh, for an example, are you taking um, all of the water bills that are in, um, that are in uh, Damascus? And are you finding out like, oh, this person has like a higher water bill. There must be more people staying with them. I wonder who's staying with them. Y using kind of unconventional or very rote pieces of data to create unconventional um, theses, right? Um, which would be a form of, you would do that if you were in the business of spycraft, right? right. So that's the allegation, <laughs> right? You're taking massive amounts of, of data, you're combining it together, and you're finding out um, what's going on. But not only that, with a back door, which Michael says he's built into this thing, you are spying on whatever anybody else is spying on. So you get everybody else's data and the US intelligence community can then look at what their friends and foes know if you've sold this software around the world with the back door. Scott, and then there's also simultaneously, we didn't really get into it in the movie, but there's a, a separate channel, uh, a Mossad channel of the software that also supposedly has a back door in it. I mean, I guess we allude to it a little bit in episode two. Talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that is, I think, more credible, actually, than the Michael Rakanashudo version. But OK, so he says that he uh, did this work for the Wackenhut Corporation, um, uh, you know, did this mo software modification project for the Wackenhut Corporation on this Indian reservation in the Coachella Valley. Uh, and <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, turns That's out near Palm Springs, basically. near Palm Springs, actually in this town where the Coachella Music Festival takes place in Indio, India, California. Yeah, actually, not as John Philip Nichols would say, not in Indio, in the sovereign nation adjacent to India. India. Um. So, um, turns out that there really was uh, the the Hut Corporation really had formed a joint venture with this. Um, tribe of, uh, I think about 23 uh, or so members, I think 18 of them of voting age or 10 of voting age, a tiny, tiny tribe. Um, and uh, <laughs> I mean, Zach, I mean, do you want to like help me out here with this one? Yeah, know. Whack you know, basically Michael is telling Danny that he did this, this software modification out at, at this, reservation yeah. um and the thing about it is that what we found was that michael really was out at this reservation and there really was a sort of intelligence at least adjacent if not full-on intelligence operation going on out there which simultaneously happens to involve how we have native american casinos in america we don't fully go into that there's just so many parts of the story but basically the reason that we have Native American casinos legal gambling in America is because of a lawsuit that was started at this reservation. And um, this is where we got introduced to the Nichols family. And that's where the Nichols right. 
And so then, maybe we could talk about. Yeah, it's like we're just going to do like a stream <laughs> of names, and we want everybody at home just to be really writing these down. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Do your homework. <laughs> Feel free to rewind. Whatever you got to do to get through this, we're going to get through it together. But uh, I'll tell you this: this is a lot, but the pacing's fantastic, and it is much more digestible than like we're making it sad. <laughs> and that's the problem with the. It, we even thought about doing. We have so many tapes of the actual people who are involved in this story. Um, and we, you know, our editors kept on being like, hey, you should just make a podcast at this point. You just got so much audio, you know, but ultimately <laughs> seeing the names it actually makes it a little easier. And, and we do a lot of visual it, it, it See, seeing the faces. We have like so many stuff. photographs. and but, but just to be just to kind of like baby step it, it's like you got the software, you got the journalist looking into the software, you got the source and the source is Michael Rikonoshudo. And he says he did all this stuff, all this work out at this reservation in the early 80s so essentially 10 years earlier than when danny is investigating this right right you know it's like we not only have a lot of names we have a lot of different time periods um so in the early 80s there was a guy named john philip nichols dr john philip nichols um the doctorate was is you know, fake it's not, he's not a real doctor questionable doctor it's kind of like how tv preachers or you know doctor or whatever you know it's like a 70 dollar <laughs> you know, mail order degree yeah. for like a couple different ideas that he would say where he got that doctorate from anyway but <laughs> he was a white dude from originally from milwaukee wisconsin who had a very odd path to why he was in this tiny band in this re tiny reservation in southern california in the 19 early 1980s and that path which we kind of tease out in the show which we researched and were helped with our research by several people but you know who gave us archival documents and things like that including his son bobby moses nichols who appears as an in the as an interview in the um in the show um really sweet guy who happened to be out there with his dad and his whole family. He brought he, this, this guy, John Philip Nichols brought his whole family from Florida in their late seventies to this tiny reservation. But I think what's more important for us is where was he before that? Turns out a lot of places. You know, <laughs> turns out he's including probably, Lexington, including Lexington, Kentucky. Oh yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to talk about that with here because it's you know this is a good forum for actually getting into the there's several connect kentucky connections to this and you know what better forum than talking with you know just going into it here but but so yeah he started in milwaukee he was in the he was a, in a brewing business there um as many people are then he gets involved with the unions and trucking he ends up in dc working with jimmy hoffa's uh basically right hand man teamsters in the teamsters and then he bounces around from there. He gets in a little bit of trouble and he starts bouncing around the world, going to uh, Brazil. Uh, going... A little bit of trouble. He had a federal warrant for his arrest. I know, we didn't even he... really get into, into this in the show, but like, so I, I hesitate to even make it more confusing. But yeah, he did, he did get arrested. And then that, that arrest, after he did some traveling abroad to several locations that, as we show, shortly after he was there, seem to have uh anti-communist revolutions that happen that are that were supported by our federal government 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, Chile, it's like a, a just a laundry list of, central and South American countries that, that were supported by our intelligence apparatus to overthrow, you know, democratic elections that brought communists into power, right? Or yes. keep those communists out of power, right? right. So you had Allende in Chile. Um, you've got the government of Brazil, which had a coup in the 50s. Um, and he was in all these places. Just, you know, happens to be there right before these all these right. <laughs> world-changing events, you know? And he's just hanging out as a selling Coca-Cola shirt. All right. You know, it's just, it's just there as a bottling plant manager who also happens to be leading a religious movement. Like, you know, it's just no big deal. As it uh, goes. Yeah. As we all have, we've all been in that shit. In those Classic shit. situation. And he's, and he bounces around to places between South America, Central America, sometimes Europe, um, all essentially all over the world, Asia, whatever, um, and America and various places in America. And he's, he, his pattern that he goes in is he kind of often comes in as a, as a, as a helper and he's goes into these countries or in the case of New York city, when he was here, he, in the sixties, he started working at something called like the lower East side, um, like neighborhood association or something like that. Right. And it's just like these little nonprofits. And in South America, he would, he worked with um, a religious movement down there. Church, Church world service, world service, which still exists um and uh it was an, it was he was bringing sort of evangelical uh christianity to a largely catholic com country yeah and what happens when you bring um when you bring all these money and organize organizing to these uh rural peasants and try to convert them into this evangelical uh, uh Pentecostal snake handler. <laughs> yeah, there's almost Pentecostal anyway. I don't know about snake it, 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 it is an evangelical movement, and they <laughs> they uh, become a voting block, yeah. right? And so you're doing kind of like a soft power, whether you believe he's working for an intelligence agency or not. The effect is a soft power movement of people who are now going to vote how the group wants them to vote which is to say against communism right <laughs> um, and so he he just finds himself in these positions um over and over in life and uh i think that his entire history like i wish we had done you know an entire episode just about the everything leading up to him coming into cabazon because it's fascinating right um he's kind of this brilliant enigmatic guy who has like a his resume is like a mile long because it's all these weird different things. And he had spent time. And I just wanted to throw this out there because of where we are here is like, he spent time at the, uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, he brought, moved his entire family there. And later on, at first we, we always had tried to tried to tie it to the farm, right? The narcotics yeah. farm, yeah. the federal narcotics farm in, in, in Lexington. And he, to law enforcement later on hinted, that he was the director of the narcotics farm. And, and that he'd done LSD work research at Harvard there. University and yeah. sort of like if you could wink that you're involved in MK Ultra, you know, uh, but without saying it, that's kind yeah. of how you say it. I, when, when would they have been in Lexington? In the 80s, maybe? He, he was there in the 70s. In the 70s. I'm curious. I don't know if y'all... Um... 
I mean, I think this some of this is kind of teased out in that bluegrass conspiracy that was like mm-hmm. the cocaine bear thing was based on. But like, yeah, have you heard about like how um, basically the the Lexington PD, whether wittingly or unwittingly, basically had a like a terrorist training camp for the Saudis here in the eighties that like Dodi Al Fayed's uh, like the Khashoggi Al Fayed clan was basically sort of uh, bankrolling for a while. Was that it? Was like. Was that Andrew Thornton's training operation? I think so. I think it was. A, I think so. It's like named after. It's like a triangle. The name is like. A, I can't a remember triangle. all the all the details, but I'm curious if there's. You know, yeah. we talked about the insularity of. Well, you know. there's there's a few. There's definitely connections to the Blue Cross conspiracy. I mean, Danny had files. You know, in 1991, on Andrew Thornton, the guy that fell out of the cocaine bear plane, the cocaine yeah, bear yeah. guy. Um, and he had, uh, obviously he'd read the bluegrass conspiracy. Um, then he also was talking regularly with a guy named Charles Hayes, who was, a uh, 606 area code. He was a supposedly a sa- computer salvage dealer mm-hmm. who, I mean, God, we don't even get into it in the, in the film, but he's, a he's a lawyer and he's in the cia he also like busted this gemstone operation in brazil okay, according to himself right no the the gemstone operation is is that's well documented uh that's in the that was in the herald leader of you know which is the leader of news in eastern kentucky uh no that's that's totally 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 real crazy weird i i met him on his deathbed um you know we had like several meetings um and then this guy, Ari Ben Menashe, who we introduced in episode two, yeah. like randomly ends up in Lexington, um, Kentucky. And then also Israeli, you know, Israeli, uh, Israeli, Israeli uh, intelligence operative. Like Massage, yeah. So then then I, the I the company, it's like there's the Lexington company. It's like called just the company. Yeah. It's this like giant uh, drug operation run by uh, intelligence and military and, and former cop. intelligence and cops. Um, there's a you Fresno, like there's a Fresno, basically a Fresno office and a Lexington office. And so like <laughs> we, our story deals with the Fresno office, um, uh, you know, in, in excess. Um, so, and it's the same, same company, um, supposedly. And it's just called the company. It's just called the company. It's very I'm, hard I'm, to, I'm going to have to dig into this. <laughs> y'all y'all yeah. giving me too much. Too much salacious bits try, here. Try Googling it. Just try type in the company and see what you find. Yeah, it's very confusing. Yeah, yeah. So, so specific. So um, anyway, so 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 I just wanted to bring this back just really quickly to finish yeah, yeah. my point about Dr. John Philip Nichols and his relationships with Lexington, which is that he was he was always alluding to him being working at the narcotics farm. With narcotics farm in Lexington, Kentucky, is where uh, various experiments happened on the effects of psychotropic drugs but mainly lsd funded by the cia right to as part of the mk ultra program which was a i'm sure you guys know or talk about this stuff but essentially a you know in its most salacious form of mind control intelligence right. operation study research operation of using lsd on unwitting you know unwitting patients in massive doses sometimes to the you know to ill effect right. uh but the reality is that he, while he was hinting at that, he was really the head of the health and uh, what's it called? The mental retard- retardation board, right? Christian, mm-hmm. 
which was yeah we could never i've always wanted to do this i mean this is why i bring it up is like if anybody in who listens to this knows more about the about the mental retardation board it would be interesting to hear about any connections between those two operations or or entities right the narcotics farm and the kentucky mental health health and uh, i gotta like look up the name but health and mental retardation board something like um because they seem to you know share a lot of characteristics in terms of being having psychologists on board and john philip nichols did have connections to the central intelligence agency that we talk about um and so it's all it's just always been a, a, a sort of dangling fruit that we've always been wanting to kind of like grasp onto and try to understand but there's so much stuff that happened in our story it's like we can't dig into just like what happened before our story essentially <laughs> one one quick detour i want to bring up just and this is a, a tangent for sure and then we'll get back uh on the straight and narrow here but because a lot of your story kind of takes place in the bay area and san francisco figures kind of heavily did y'all come across anything in sort of examining those Kentucky connections that maybe didn't make it off the cutting room floor about Augustus Owsley Stanley, the Grateful Dead roadie, and in his distribution of Sandoz acid, it may be connected to some of this stuff with the with the with the farm in Lexington and stuff. Because so I oh, guess sorry. right, he he was the he had not one but two forebears that were Kentucky governors, right? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, well, Owsley, Stanley, um, you know, uh, I guess there's some people that I don't, I haven't shared their names, but what there's a lot of LSD manufacturers that I've talked to in um, my research on what was going on in the Bay Area part of the story. Yeah. And um, yeah, Owsley's name is brought up all the time and he had the best stuff and he gave them or whatever. I guess they got uh, at various times his stuff. It changed their lives. It changed their minds. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, but uh, but no, I don't have any like real connective tissue there other than yeah. just like I was interfacing with people that were moving his product. It's kind of a fun aside. Yeah. OK. Yeah. <laughs> well. To get us back on track here. Yeah, I mean, have we gone so far that people are just like, what is this show? No, 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 no. This is people are like this thinking is that we've lost our mind. This is par for the Trillbillies course. No, okay. no, yeah. Long-time listeners will know this is we're <laughs> meandering at the right pace. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're we're so good. <laughs> so I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but only just Go for, for the interest of not giving up so much yeah, yeah. in terms of, of the story here. But I'm going to basically ask you all about the eight tentacles of the octopus, both uh, the the people involved, those, the eight people, but also sort of the eight, you know, and we already talked about Cabazon a little bit, which is one of those tentacles. But uh, I want to talk about, uh, well, I'll just kick it off. We'll just go down here and y'all just kind of touch on who these people are and, yeah. you know, about... I really appreciate you asking about it because the sort of initial articles that are coming out are like these two filmmakers fil figured out there's eight people that control the world. And I love the opportunity to kind of clarify. <laughs> set, the, set the record straight <laughs> <off>. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. For Believe me, if we figured out that the eight people who ran the world, we wouldn't tell you guys. We'd be partying with them. Well, I think you're, I think, I think, uh, 
when it's Poppy Bush involved, I think you're absolutely correct. <laughs> I think that's just a matter of record. Uh, um, so let's let's start with some lesser notes. I think I I just as an overall for me because like mm-hmm. we're uh, you know we're dealing with like text Danny Casalero's text and he is not here to ex- explain it, and so we're almost like. Um, uh religious scholars who are you know going through this text this ancient text and trying to decipher its meaning um for me i think that when i look at the eight people i think it's a you know and danny is a novelist like he is a he's a researcher and a novelist and at various times this project the octopus project was a novel he had fake names for all the people michael reconnoisseur was danger man there was another call a guy called jimmy the weasel and you know but so, and, so and we have a chart. yeah we have a char- yeah totally we have a chart somewhere of like all of the danny's like novelized names that he assigned to the different characters okay so what i think of when i think of the eight people zach may have a different uh relationship with it is you know, you you're looking at this large secret world of intelligence and you're illustrating it through different stratification. You have like the rogue agent, Edward Wilson. You've got the really obscure kind of like freelance um, John Philip Nichols. That's kind of like at the bottom of the food chain. And then you go up it, and, and so then through telling the story of these people's relationship with um, the world of espionage and, and the secret world of intelligence, you're kind of like telling a larger story about, you know, what, what the secret history of, of your reality, which is thing, you know, how these people are affecting it. Um, and it, and you, you're putting a human face on it, but I, I, that's sort of, that's how I think about it. But I'm curious what you think about it, Zach. I mean, I, I think that's right. I, I think there's a lot of different things to say about it. And like for 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 just to start for a book called The Octopus, which is what Danny landed on as the title of his book he was proposing, right? Like Christian said, he never finished the book. So we are much like Christian said, we're these Talmudic scholars trying to decipher what he meant. Canonize, you know, what's yeah. it's, it's very subjective. And we try to be honest with our subjectivity. Uh, this is our perspective. Right. Um, but I think, you know, and, and even when we list, I mean, we don't, we don't dive into, we don't sort of point this out too much. We list nine people when we list the, the people that he's talking about, because he would kind of switch in, you know, depending on where he was at, he would sometimes throw somebody else in there, you know? Right. So I just want to like throw that. Out. It's like, we're talking about a work in progress. I don't want people to think that like Danny had totally landed on this thing, but, but the eight people or sometimes nine people that he, that he called the octopus really were extremely powerful in various ways. Uh, and mostly intelligence operatives. Right. And yeah. so that's who we're talking about. We're talking about people like Christian said at the lower tier and Danny, Danny actually has a diagram that he, where he kind of like puts people on various tiers of, of importance. And I think that the octopus, like Christian said, is a way to, it's a lens through which to see this, this world. And it's a poetic way to describe the very network worky, complicated world that he's trying to describe and that we're trying to describe. But right. what it essentially is, is like, former intelligence operatives who are 
you know, came up usually in the OSS or CIA, the OSS being the predecessor to the CIA, and had been um, often removed from the CIA or left the CIA. A lot of times people who left uh, with the Carter administration coming in and were kicked out of the CIA went private, did a bunch of private stuff that factors into mostly visible in Iran-Contra where you see people who are former intelligence agents who are, who are making money off of arms deals, things like that, and selling those things on behalf of the U.S. government. It's this magical sort of privatization of the intelligence world um, and accumulating a ton of money and a ton of power along the way. And the octopus itself, as Danny sees it, is, you know, if you can kind of stretch it into a slightly poetic realm and not just be like, there's eight people that run the world, it's a lens through which to see how the privatization of of intelligence this is maybe this is like the soberest take and maybe yeah. Daniel would be like oh, there's eight people around the world but <laughs> it, it, for me as 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 a slightly more sober reader it's a way to see how this power structure worked of of what happens when you take people who have a lot of connections do a lot of secret business have through their connections through the intelligence world have had to work with criminals in the past because much of the activity that the cia often does in foreign operations you come in contact with the criminal world because you are in fact committing crimes along the way in in other countries on behalf of the u.s government you are by being a operative you're inherently a criminal in other countries right in a lot of cases if you're doing something big um so um you know so if you look at it through that lens you can kind of see how the what we describe as the criminal world the intelligence world and the private intelligence world all kind of come together in this thing that's quasi-governmental, quasi-criminal, quasi-intelligence. And, and also, it, that's a really great explanation. And another thing that you know is lost, you know, to a lot of uh, people that are interested in this story, because um, it's not on the Wikipedia or whatever, is that you know Danny grew up in McLean, Virginia, which is basically where the CIA is. And when he was a kid, James Angleton, who was this top uh, counter uh, counter espionage, very controversial guy, was his neighbor, and he used to talk about that. Um, and his he had friends that were in the NSA, and you know he was he's from northern virginia he's from dc virginia he's like from there's like this inner connection to the cia and he, that i always spy found fast yeah the spy, spy world spies yeah. they're everywhere yeah we had, i always wonder you know when i'm in dc like the other day like the, the day the trailer dropped i went for a run in dc like along the um it, al along the river uh and there, I, there was this like large bluff. Like I was kind of in, the, kind of entering into the woods. This large bluff, and this guy with sunglasses, sunny out. This guy with sunglasses, like looks down at me, like, and then there's no one else around, like running. It just felt like a movie, you know. It's like you know, the trailer <laughs> dropped, and now this like guy I'd never seen before is looking down at me from the top of a bluff with this sunglasses. Guy sitting on, on a bench with a newspaper. I, <laughs> yeah, and you know, D, you know, when you're, whenever I'm in DC, I'm always just like, so, like soaking up like the power the excretions of power and espionage and sort of <laughs> I, I sense when i'm when i'm there which is yeah part of the romance you know there is like a romance to this whole thing that we try to show which is like 
Danny was excited by this, you know, and that's almost yeah. the most important thing is like getting into this little conspiracy world that, you know, huge conspiracy world for this case. Uh, it's, we look at it. I feel like it is, I say it in Christian is a drug and it's, you, you just, once you learn a little bit, you want a little bit more and you want a little more. And there's all, you're always one step away from feeling whole. Yeah. And you're always one hit of this of this conspiracy drug away from the finding finding kind of the answer, you know. But there's yeah. always one more little remaining, and it, you know that can be frustrating for people, but it's extremely exhilarating to go through that process. And uh, and and uh, you know, I don't whether it's unfulfilling or not. I don't know. We 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 tried to find a balance there, but uh, but that is the process, and that's what it feels like. And it's almost it's almost like at a certain point, it doesn't matter what it's about. It's about the feeling of getting information you know what that yeah. what that hit feels like yeah and, you know i guess uh, to you know because we're coming up on the hour here and i would be mindful of y'all's time but uh to kind of put a bow on it i got like two questions one is like and i asked you, you know to kind of kick it off what's your relationship to conspiracies and that kind of stuff was going in you know to me it feels like sometimes people that are into conspiracies i think like their the general contours of their arguments are kind of correct it's just kind of the who what where when that kind of gets off the rails a little bit but i try not to be dismissive of those things because sometimes as as in the case of this you see that like a lot of times what you come across is correct what was y'all's take on like conspiracy like community people sort of af post after all this is over with I I got a I got a text from one of Michael's reconnaissudos. Um, he has all these handlers, you know, like or not handlers, friends, loyal friends, oh. and, uh, helpers, and and um, basically one of them sent me uh this text yesterday, and it was like this is the real Netflix, and it was like a it was like a a tweet, and and then I. I open the video up and it's got the bold Netflix logo and then on top and then in the middle, it's just playing this video of basically how evil Sigmund Freud is. And, I, and I'm just like, and, and I'm letting it play out. And I, I don't know much about Sigmund Freud. I think it's interesting that he's the uncle of Edward Bernays, the father yeah. of modern propaganda, whatever. I don't know. I don't really care. But like, I mean, whatever, I care, I don't care. But I just think it's interesting that you have this like, like, I guess people are so hypnotized if you just put the Netflix logo up and say Netflix is evil. And then you play a video that's talking about how evil Sigmund Freud is. I'm like, at what point are they going to tie this up? I didn't watch the whole thing, but I don't know. That's to me, that's the that's the quote unquote conspiracy world. Just like kind of a hypnotized like evil lurks everywhere you're being like you know what i'm saying and and my relation to it now is like what's the answer can you figure it out for real like don't just hide from spies like knock on their doors and try to get them to tell you their secrets you know i <laughs> yeah you know i don't like don't just be paranoid and assume you know anything right yeah what about you Zach? i think of it like I think the word conspiracy is thrown around like way too liberally. I think the word, you know, truth is thrown around way too liberally. It's just, we just use these words and the word conspiracy. It's almost like, it's almost just like a, a 
blanket that you can throw on anything that you isn't as an almost like an insult or way to avoid things right and right. so it's like, are there conspiracies out there yes <laughs> that's there's a you can be charged with criminal conspiracy that is a that is a plan to do something right yeah. there are conspiracies and some of them involve political actions and some yeah. of them involve things that we talk about in the show and then there's uh another thing that happens which is the in this really you know if you really want to start like your your little term paper or something on this like the era in which danny is writing this the same year same era that like the x-files is coming out same year that this that that uh behold a pale horse that that conspiracy book is coming out you know all this yeah same year the jfk I, came out it's in the air yeah JFK. it was in the air at the time and it's once again it's very much in the air now and a lot of that stuff is fluff and intentionally from some intent intentionally weird and confusing and the people who are making it sometimes i'm not talking about x files or jfk or jfk jfk is amazing it's an amazing movie but but a lot of the conspiracy literature i think you have to trace back and wonder like is this it, it seems like nonsense and some people think it seems like the truth but what's where who's manufacturing the nonsense are they just having fun or is it a way to do what i think happens in our story which is a way to take a little bit of truth take a little bit of fiction wed them together and make it so that the truth is no longer visible because yeah. it's got bullshit attached to it and when yeah. you've got bullshit attached to it nobody at the standard bearing journalistic efforts that we have in america are willing to go out on a limb and even mention this stuff right so yeah. For us, it takes a couple of jokers like the two of us who don't necessarily have to have the standards and practices of the New York Times. I mean, Christian used to work for the New York Times, I should say that. But <laughs> As a photographer, though, it's a lot different. <laughs> um, you know, to we allow ourselves to go out on some limbs that maybe other people won't go out on. And then we try to figure out what those limbs, uh, you know, who put those limbs there. I don't want to continue this metaphor too far. But <laughs> what I'm saying is that is that we're we're trying to unearth things that perhaps seem a little bit weird and see what's real and what's not. And that's the excitement. Yeah, I, I, I had this, speaking of, sorry, speaking of Zach, talking about the New York Times, I just remembered this thing that happened uh, a long time ago. Before Zach was like involved in this project, I was still on my own. And I was still working for the New York Times. Um, and that was kind of, as a freelancer, it was kind of, that was how I was funding the early days of this research. And I was at the New York times Christmas party and I was introduced to a guy who was the bureau, the DC bureau chief at the time that Danny died. And I was like, Oh, do you remember this story about Danny Castellari? who's a reporter who died. And he goes, he's a drunk. And I was like, uh, yeah, well, I've been researching this story for like three years now. And he's, he's a drunk. He was a drunk. That's all he was, was a drunk. I was like, Oh yeah. Well, you know, I was, you know, I read the URL's reporting on it, and I, you know, was, he was a drunk. He was a drunk. <laughs> okay, dude. Okay, uh, you recently you worked on it for what a, two weeks as an editor? Yeah, uh, yeah. And you I've know, been, this, I've and, got ten years in this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I'll walk away, and I'll we'll both go and be drunks together separately at this Christmas party. But yeah, <laughs> that was illuminating. You know, well, so, I, 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 in some way, somehow, I'm not sure. <laughs> 
Well, you know, like it, and and you know, Zach kind of answered what my second question was there. In a way, in the the last episode you had one of those uh, a gentleman you'd interviewed that said that you know a classic tactic of the intelligence community is to just create all these myths and basically what you were saying was stacking bullshit on top of like little kernels of truth in there and like you know as to prevent people from wading too far too far in there and and it feels like the same kind of thing that that you know for whatever reason uh won't say anything about you know like danny's death in that way i'll let folks watch it but but the same thing that essentially cost danny his life it feels like now like that whole sort of intelligent strategy has just been sort of put on us writ large, you know, like to where, like, I don't know that you would get killed for investigating some sort of grand conspiracy now because people would just be like, would not care that you knew those things. You know what I mean? Kind of in this post-Trump world and all that kind of stuff. And it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I was, I was having dinner the other night with a friend of mine who his actual parents next to our neighbor is Robert Gates, who was a CIA director during a very oh, yeah. significant part of the story. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about it and he was just like, I can't remember how it came up, but he was just, you know, it's just good branding for the CIA. You know, if people think they're badasses and get, and like do, get shit done, you know, like yeah. it's kind of, even though they look kind of bad, they still look bad. You know, yeah. they look badass. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they've, they've, they've even got a whimsical Twitter account now, right? Like where they're like, "Oh, well, we're declassifying this thing." Yeah, I mean, you can't put it past like the layers of thought that they're gonna put into stuff and like and improvise and turn the the even failures into successes, right? So it's like yeah. an amazing world to just kind of get fascinated with now. Ultimately, yeah. seeing it, you, you're just. It's so tantalizing to, to just wonder what's really going on in there. Are the things, you know, I think what's the new plan? What's the new plans you guys have for us? Um, <laughs> yeah. We just can't wait. We just can't wait for the next drop. Yeah, I'm, I'm on pins and needles over here, guys. What you got? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're kind of like pretty well versed in what they were up to in the 70s and 80s. But I, I'm excited to see if people who know have some idea I, i'm totally out of the loop about what's going on now in the world of espionage um maybe someone wants to hit me with some uh you know inside scoops maybe I, there's I'd a trade magazine that i could take a look at yeah, <laughs> yeah. the parallels too tight um, <laughs> yeah. yeah i think it's interesting also it's like you know we've been waiting this is just coming out and we have no idea what people think of this movie and 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 nobody's really seen it um but we've been waiting for people to start looping us in, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a sort of dreaded possibility of people being like, Oh, you guys are, are the problem. You guys are part of this conspiracy too. You know? And it's like, yeah. Oh no, don't do that to us. We were no, just no. out of that thing, <laughs> you know, but I can see it happening. It's it, there. There's a, a focus level and, and a, and a strange, um, you know, glomming on of things we're, we're you know in the absence of information the mind goes wild right yeah. and and that's a human instinct and it's an instinct that i think that we see in our story the uh intelligence agencies criminal and and you know anybody who's doing something hidden right yeah uh uses to their advantage and it's uh it's wild to watch yeah well, I think this is—I think this is fantastic, guys. There's a lot of like it—it kind of puts me in the mind of like uh, y'all see Mirage Men, 
mm-hmm. in like those type of doc, like just fantastic scary stuff. story just like sometimes i'm like what what is there other story that's going on like why is that guy being so forthright about what he's saying anyway i don't mean to yeah get no 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 i know tutorial myself here <laughs> not I, to I open that the, back up or anything but the, uh, one of the movies that it's you know it, it's a doc it's a documentary but it's not like many other documentaries especially you have me pl- like in it as the investigator, but then also playing Danny Castellaro that I don't think has ever been done before. And then just the amount of stuff that we were able to weave into it. It's kind of like the documentary version of inherent vice, you know, that, or that's some that, or that's sort of like, Zach might be cringing really hard right now, but that's like the, I don't know, even though ours is a documentary, that's the movie I would compare it most to most close out of documentaries and, and, uh, fictionalized film well it definitely has you know then you get into the the thomas pynchon kind of influence over this world and and i feel like he did capture uh a lot of the feelings that we're talking about in his work and let's just throw it out there in bleeding edge his novel he mentions the promise software so it all times circle yeah full circle baby (laughs) <laughs> well what the series the series is called American Conspiracy the Octopus Murders and uh, yeah Zach, Christian thanks for being with us guys thank you so, so much, much for having us on it's such a pleasure and uh, you know let us uh, let us check in at some point when we get some more information for you guys yeah thank yeah you. and uh, yeah y'all ever uh, come back home with prodigal sons holler at me yeah, we'll, we'll see you there love to hang yeah. out hell yeah all right, stop. <laughs>